Congregation, the text for this morning's our sermon is from 1 Corinthians 15, the verses 29 through 58. It's a long piece with three main verses and three main thoughts. It is about the resurrection, a reward. That's the theme. The resurrection, a reward. In the first place, more proof of the resurrection. Look at verse 29. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? It's a verse proving the resurrection. Difficult verse. We hope to say something about it. Secondly, the very nature of the resurrection. Think of verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body? What body do they come? In the third place, the victory through, through resurrection. Verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the theme is the resurrection a reward. Three thoughts, more proof of the resurrection, verse 29, the very nature of resurrection, verse 35, and the victory through, through resurrection, verse 57. Congregation, this is a difficult chapter, difficult piece for the young people. So let me begin with a short Bible story connecting to this chapter. You'll see what the sense of it is. It is about Moses, children, Moses. He was born in Egypt. His parents, Amram and Jochebed, were trying to hide him, right? The Pharaoh was after all those children. All those babies, boys had to be killed. Because the Pharaoh was afraid that the Jewish people and the Hebrews would take over the country. So they all had to be killed. And the parents of that little Moses had faith. And they did not accept that. And they were hiding their baby in a, let me say, a bassinet in the reeds, in the grass, next to the Nile River. They're hiding it. Especially when the soldiers were getting close. They were hiding the baby. So we see that little Moses in that bassinet, in that basket, in the reeds. And I see some ladies coming, royalty, the daughter of Pharaoh. With a few of her princesses, with a few of her, of, of her, of her helpers, the princess herself. And she, they're wading through the water. They try to wash themselves a little bit. And then they see that, that bassinet. Well, what is that? And the daughter of the Pharaoh says to her maidens, What is that? And they go and do they open it or so? Was it, was it their lid on it? And they see that baby. That beloved, dear child. And they are touched in their hearts. And that daughter Pharaoh says, this child is found by me. That's my child from now on. 
But how do you feed a child? There was no formula or something, no bottles. So there was a little girl standing there also, Miriam, actually the sister of Moses, and she said, I have an idea. I know someone who could nurse this baby. Oh, who is that? My, my, my mom can do that. And they referred to Jochebed. And Jochebed had the, had, had, had the joy to yet feed that baby for, I don't know how long, a year or two. So, so far, the Lord had spared the child. But there came a time that Jochebed had to give the child to the daughter of the Pharaoh. And she raised it. She took it. She officially adopted the child as her son. So Moses was the prince of Egypt. And I read in the Bible, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses at the time, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. So Moses grew up four years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, and a teenager. And, and his life was just so rich. He was so spoiled. I'm sure, I, I don't want to make things of it, I'm sure he had his own horses his own chariots, maybe more than that. Maybe he had his own boat on the Nile, a yacht. He was so extremely rich, those people those days. It's admiral. He had everything. We would say he had fleshy cars and, 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 and he had Rolls Royces. And he had this, he was so wealthy. But most of older, and they told him that he was not Egyptian by nature. He actually belonged to those slaves, to those Hebrews, to the Jewish people. And he started thinking. And the Lord worked in his heart. And he began to, uh, he began to repent of his sins. By faith, Hebrews 11, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, I don't want to be. I don't want to be the son of the Egyptian princess. I refuse that. I have no need of all the wealth. doesn't tell me anything. It's in the light of eternity worthless, right? In the light of eternity is worthless. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The pleasures of sin for a season. So was he involved in sin then? Did he go to parties and stuff? And did he drink? What did he do? Like some young people do today? Sadly, still. And drink too much. 
and hanging out with the wrong crowd for a season, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction. He said, no, I'd rather belong to that Jewish people. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches, reward, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So the affliction, the reproach of Christ is better than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He was thinking of the recompense of the Lord rewarding his people. He thought, you know, this is if I stay in Egypt and have all the pleasure of sin, it's only for the time being. And it's when I it die, it's all over. But if I belong to that afflicted people, and if I may have the riches of Christ, then I may keep it for eternity. That great reward. So he said, I'm not a fool. I'm not staying here. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses wanted a reward. Is that wrong? Is he serving the Lord to get better from it? Is he serving the Lord in for selfish reasons? Just to be happy in eternity? Serving the Lord for, for heaven? Yes. But that's wrong. You may not serve the Lord for heaven. Well, that depends. It depends what you would like to do in heaven. If you like being heaven just for yourself and be, be, be with yourself and your friends. But if you have a desire to be with God, to have fellowship with him, if, if that will be your reward, the Lord is so honored by that. He's honored if he is your reward. He is honored when you would like to be with him. Right? That is also in, in, in marriage, right? We don't marry someone just for selfish reasons. But you like to marry her, don't you? You love it. And if you won't love it, you better don't. And she would not be honored by it. So that's the background of this chapter as well. This chapter is about the great reward, right? The reward of resurrection. And the Apostle Paul is talking about that extensively in this chapter. And he's proving it. He's proving there is a resurrection. There must be a resurrection. And if not, it doesn't make sense 
else he's reasoning. You know the Apostle Paul, right? He's saying the words like, therefore, and why, and else. He's a reasoner. He's logical. Verse 39. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? One of the difficult texts in the Bible. Let me just tell you what it not, not, does, does not mean. It does not mean, like the Mormons say, that God's people can be baptized again for someone that died already. So someone is in hell, and someone who was baptized before can be baptized again to get that person out of hell. To be baptized for the dead. That's not what it means. And I try, let me try to ex- ex- explain that. In the first place, from the whole rest of the Bible, you know that, right? If you have died, can't change anymore. You're saved, you're saved. You're not saved. You cannot be saved anymore. The time is over. And there's a point in the man wants to die. And after that judgment, there's no second chance. There's no possibility anymore. It's over. So stating that someone who is in hell can be saved by the baptism of someone else on earth is nonsense. What does it mean then? Well, as you know, we always have to read the uh, text in context, right? And this is kind of easy here. There are four um, questions, four main questions. This is one question, right? Why being baptized then for the death? So this parallel were three other ones. Why then stand in jeopardy every hour? Verse 30. And verse 31, why then dying daily? And verse 32, and why then fighting with the beasts in Ephesus? So those four, why being baptized for the death? Why being in jeopardy all the time? Why die daily? Why fight with the beasts? If there was no resurrection, I would not want to be in jeopardy all the time. If there is no reward, I don't want to die daily. If there is no resurrection, I don't want to fight with the beasts in Ephesus. I want the reward. There's no reward, because Paul says, then I don't want to die daily. In jeopardy every hour, the Apostle Paul died every day, was every day in danger. 
Every day, he felt the the hot breath of death in his neck. He constantly felt in danger, here or there, or I don't know, from where it comes. He was always alert, always thinking of death. I die daily. He lived close to death. He realized it. He realized, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Maybe today, I'm going to die. Who knows? Maybe today. And what a life is that? A life with constantly experiencing your mortality. I like to recommend that life. Recommend the life of dying daily. Of daily realizing this might be the last one. And be vigilant and faithful and realizing now I still can do it. Maybe tomorrow, not anymore. To live close to death. To count your days. To become wise. So in that context, the Apostle Paul says, else what, shall they, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Baptizing for the dead must mean something similar to the three next verses. Being baptized for the dead must mean suffering. Must mean. Why do I suffer? Why are they then baptized for the dead? See the context? You say, well, but how would you translate that? What has baptism to do with affliction? Because it it just simply says, baptized for the dead. Should we not take it literally then? Well, there are texts in the Bible about that. That baptism means suffering. It's in the Bible. Believe it. Mark 10. They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand of thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized? with the baptism that I am baptized with? See that? Do you think you can be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? What else can it mean than suffering? Or Luke 12, but I have a baptism to be baptized with 
and how I am a straightened, uh, am I straightened till it be accomplished. The Lord Jesus spoke about baptism as being baptized in suffering. But you say maybe the, the, uh, in, in the original it says baptized for the death. The for is hyper or hyper and can mean many different things. It could also mean in or unto. So else what shall they do which are baptized for the death? So if people are suffering unto death, suffering unto death, if there is no baptism, if, if there is no resurrection, else what shall they which are baptized to the dead do if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then suffering unto death? Like martyrs, right? Martyrs are suffering unto death on the stake. They are they're killed. So why would martyrs be martyrs? Why do people want to be, die on the stake? If there's no resurrection. That's in the context. So the application of that is would you be willing to suffer persecution? Would you just leave the church then? Or would you still continue and say I'm rather afflicted with the people of God than for a while, a time, the, the treasures of Egypt and sin for a season? Would you fall away? if persecution broke out? Or would the resurrection be your reward? You say, I'm rather baptized for the death. I'm rather in jeopardy every day. I'm rather dying daily. I am rather be for the wild beasts. Because I look upon the recompense of the reward. Are we seeking the city with foundations? Are we pilgrims on earth? Do we keep in mind that we have no abiding city? Right? So, uh, proof of the resurrection. In the sense of reasoning, there must be resurrection, else it would not make sense to be a martyr. Let's go to the second thought. The very nature of the resurrection. Let me start at verse 40. Um, start at verse 43. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is about a funeral, right? When there's a funeral and a viewing before that, 
and also viewing in the foyer, yeah? And you begin to realize what that means, then they, 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 they feel, you see the dishonor. It is not an honorable thing, right, to be in your casket. You honor the person, but there's not, not, not an honor you do to someone. Just laying down, eyes closed, no heartbeat, no color, no bloodstream. That's dishonest, weakness. It's absolute weakness. And that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. When people are buried, they're buried in dishonor, buried in weakness, there's no power, it's over. And now some in the congregation of Corinth said, it's over. When someone has died, then there is no example of some being raised from the dead. Can be. People are returning to dust. And there is no way back. And the Apostle Paul refers to that and begins to explain that. And he begins to say, O thou fool, verse 36, thou fool that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So some people say when you have died, you cannot live again. Because Paul says, yes, you can. I will give you an example of nature. When you sow a seed of corn in, this, in, 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 in the ground, and you bury it, or some grass seed, or a carrot, or a, a beet, or an nasturtium seed, you know, whatever you're using. And you put that seed, it's very small or a little bigger, put your finger in the ground, or a tool, and you just and just cover it again with, 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 with soil. You have buried that seed, right? And you would say, it's over. I, I, I can't see the seed anymore. It's buried. It will just die there. It has died. It is, there's no meaning. No. Because in the dark, with a little bit of moisture, a little bit of warmth, in, 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 this, in the soil, something begins to develop. That, that seed germinates. And that seed disappears. And I see a little plant coming. And I see that there is, that there is corn, or there is grass, or an Australian flower, or a beet coming. It's amazing. Amazing. So the Apostle Paul says, see that it's possible. We are very weak, very brittle, and yet it is guaranteed that all people will rise from the dead. 
And uh, people will be people. Do they realize that we are so fragile? For as man, his days are as grass, as grass. Grass is not much. As the flower of the field, so it flourisheth. But the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. Mortality. Or Isaiah 40, the voice cried, and he said, What shall I cry? And all the flesh is grass, and all the goodness of is as the flower of the field. Or Job 14, he cometh forth like a flower, and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow, and continueth not. The Apostle Paul is now explaining not only that people will rise, but also that people will rise in a very special way. Because the body, God's people will get back, is their body, right? Their body, not someone else's, not a strange body. It's their body, their own body. You will get your own body back. But it will be different. It's yours, yet different. And the apostle is using um, five different words for that, lines for that. Corruption will become incorruption. Natural will become spiritual. Earthly becomes heavenly. Mortal becomes immortal. And we become powerful. Those are five. So God's people, after the resurrection, will receive their body back. But it will be incorruptible, invincible, nothing wrong with that, perfect, a perfect body back. There was a natural body, now they receive another body, it's their body, but there's a spiritual body, a spiritual body like the body of the Lord Jesus was a spiritual body. He could eat he did not have to eat. The faculties of the body were yet different. It was a spiritual body. No, no, no. In heaven is no spiritual body. In heaven is only the soul of God's people. Only the soul. And they see with the soul's eyes. But after the resurrection... They will have a spiritual body, a body, spiritual body. Instead of earthly, it will be heavenly, heavenly oriented. There's overlap between all those words. They will, they will receive a heavenly body when the resurrection comes. They will have an immortal body. They cannot die anymore. And they will have a 
powerful body, strength will be there, and no weakness at all. Why is the Apostle Paul talking about that? He talks about that incentive. He talks about that recompense of the reward. He wants people to realize that they will lose everything when they die unconverted. And they will inherit all things when they are saved by Christ. So that's why I use that example of Moses, right? Moses looked upon the recompense of the reward. And he thought, I'm not a fool. I'm not going to waste my time, my life below, and I miss out on the most important thing. I read in Job 19, And though after my skin worms destroyed this body, that's horrible to think about, yet in my flesh shall I see God, not in my soul, but my flesh, I shall see God. So if you're one of his, you may say, my body is going to be buried, but it will rise, it will rise incorruptible, spiritual, heavenly, immortal, powerful, strength. That's a great reward. And you don't need to be ashamed of seeking that. If you seek it to glorify God with the body. Daniel 12. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You know, stars have their own body. And the sun and the moon and the birds, and the fowls, and the beasts, and so God's people. Matthew 13. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. The righteous shine as the sun would you like to shine the sun in the kingdom of the Father? Philippians 3. Who shall change our vile body that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Oh, that's a glorious body. Or oh, Revelation 21. And I heard a great voice out of the heavens saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. And be their God, 
and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Therefore, what are you seeking? Congregation, what are you seeking? What do you live for? Do you live for the pleasure of sin for a season? Or are you focused on the future? And do you realize that here on earth, it's all earthly, corruptible, earthly, and mortal, but that the reward is for God's people afterward? Seek him and live. Brings to the last thought, the victory through resurrection. First, congregation, the word victory occurs three times at the, last, at the last part of this chapter. Three times, victory, victory, victory. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up, death is swallowed up in victory. And verse 55, O death, there is thy sting, O grave, there is thy victory. And also, in the last verse, in verse 57 rather, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is that victory about? The victory is about the Lord Jesus returning and conquering death. Because death has not been conquered yet. Not? No. God's people, many of God's people are still in the grave, right? So death has, has not been conquered. Death is still in church. Death is still there. And the Lord Jesus, when he comes back, he will take death captive. He will capture death and take, take death out. And there will be no death anymore. He will have the victory over death. So when we think of the text, the last enemy of the church is death. We often think of a deathbed, right? And then we say that's the last enemy, death. That's not what it refers to. The last enemy being death is at the last day. Then death will be conquered. And then Death is swallowed up in victory. Swallowed up like a bird is, is taking a seat and is gobbling it up, devouring it. It's gone like a crocodile just gets a prey and just swallows it whole. And so death will be swallowed up in victory, 
Who does God? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus guarantees the resurrection of God's people and death will be gone. They'll be swollen. And more, death will have no sting anymore. Oh, death, that is thy sting. Some insects have a sting. A scorpion has a sting. And when he stings you, that is quite painful. But if you are able to cut off a sting, that scorpion is absolutely harmless. And I think it is also true for most bees, or at least for a number of types of bees. I mean, there are thousands of different types of bees, right? Thousands, yes. Creation. But many of those bees, when they sting you, they let the sting go, and the sting remains in your skin. And they fly on without a sting. They're harmless little insects. And so the Lord takes that sting out of that. So that the death of God's people is different. And that sting will be taken out, especially at the last day. In a way, it is out already. But then there's victory. O death, there is thy sting. O grave, there is thy victory. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law, right? So the law convinces of sin, and sin convinces of guilt, and that's kind of a sting. It will all be over. We know no, no sin anymore. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul has this hope. He is persecuted and has experienced so much hardship. He says, I have hope. I don't, don't, I don't pity me. I'm, I'm doing well. I talked not long ago to someone who was really shaking. I thought she had Parkinson's. But apparently it was not, 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 not Parkinson's. And I asked her, how do you feel about that? And she said, people pity me and they feel sorry for me. But I don't feel sorry for myself. It brings me closer to Jesus. Now, if that is true, see, then the sting is out of it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. You know, don't pity him. Thanks to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, that's one of the key words of Paul, right? You may remember. Therefore, you don't see it. Therefore, in the letters of the Apostle Peter and John, but Paul, yes. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. In the Lord. Not in vain, it is not for nothing. There's a reward. Not in vain. So, be faithful. Do your work. Don't don't feel paralyzed. Do what's right. Keep going. Be steadfast. Don't panic. Don't be moved too quickly. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, in holiness, in sanctification. Abound in it. Do your best for it. Live holier than before. Get closer to the Lord. Walk in His ways. Be faithful, unmovable, always, not just a little bit, always abounding, abounding in the work of the Lord. As mothers, as fathers, as single people, older people, young people, in school, wherever. Although we, we know that his life will end someday. Just be faithful. Continue. Abound in good works. Seek the Lord. But of course you know that we need to be saved for that, right? We need a new heart for that. We need to repent for that. We need to believe for that, to choose for that. But that's what it lay before you. To seek the Lord. We're going to close with Colossians 1 verse 23. It's kind of close to that last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister therefore continue. Continue in being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen.